So, hello, and welcome to uh, Josie and Robin's uh, book shambles. You've done every single introduction that we've I just today. want to get on with it, but it means you <laughs> always you... get your name top billing, sure. don't you? It is, by you the way. You do one then. Hello. What? No, because then I was too excited. We normally do it back and forth, but, but today we've just okay. forgotten, so what you start doing. Hello. Hello, welcome to the book, book shambles, is it called? Book shambles. Now you do it. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. the whole podcast. Just, <laughs> you your just your introduction is uh, has an element of Mr. James. Welcome to Book Shambles on the Suffolk coast yes. one day. Richard <laughs> was walking when he found there was a pig yeah. found locked in a pig room, and he but he had the keys, so he let himself out and went off and had a very good life, where he became chairman of ICI. Nice. Now, Eddie, one of the most important <laughs> stories of your childhood <laughs> was the Pigram story by Roald Dahl, which you just read. <laughs> no, I think that's it, because we're just talking about improvising. If you let go when you're improvising, then it's just whatever comes next. So the pig got out and he joined ICI, and that was quite a nice... Because I've, I've worked out that you can hit comedy. I worked this out when I was street performing. If you just add uh, an image, the next image is, is very left turn at the traffic lights. And then, so pig gets out, so you think you do pig stuff. He's got keys. How does he do that? And then you just keep, and if you keep putting uh, stuff that don't fit afterward, you should hit funny. That's that's my gut instinct, which sort of works. Well, what happens with the conf? Because that's the hardest thing, is it? The moment that you think I've lost them, and the brain starts to dry, and the mouth ah, starts to dry. The moment you think you've lost it, you have lost them. Yeah. If you think you've lost them, mm. the same with unicycles. When I was practicing, huh. people would go, "Hey, you're going to fall off." And if I thought, "Oh, don't fall off," I'd fall off. So I found that when they say, "Hey, don't," "Hey, you're going to fall off," "Yeah, you're going to fall off," I just have to go la di da 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 and just sing something and, and not think the thought because it, it, it's that fine and it is that with improv. Or, or losing the audience or something. If you think you've run out of funny, you've run out of funny because of that thought. But what's good with improvising is then sometimes it always stand up, you get to go, what has happened now is this has failed because of this. And then it's almost like that's you getting yourself oh, up well, again and starting again. Oh, well, you to explain the audience why it mm. failed. Yes, that's how to get out of fuck up. Yeah. Can we swear on that? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. Oh, that's yeah, fine. nothing that. But I think there's also Pizza. a time where you can go, uh, I've lost them, and then rather, when you're starting out, and the, the the enormous sense of of shame that may well occur at certain points when you just think, oh, I've, I've failed, and then when sometimes you get to that point of going, oh, I've lost them. Ah, fuck it. Then let's have fun, and you just think, well, I'll just have fun on my own, yeah. and eventually somebody might get thrown, and I better leave. But you can then, I think, reclaim it just by going, well, I'm not sure this is working, but rather than try and go, oh, let's find some common ground, and they see the desperation in your eyes, yeah. let's go, let's see, as, I'm, as I've lost them, I wonder if while I'm getting lost, some people will go, I might actually follow this one for a while, because I'm kind of intrigued as to why we're all lost now. Do you use this a lot? Because I... I... I don't know. I... I the, there was a mainstream audience I did play to, and they didn't get any of my stuff, and that's quite recently. And uh, and that was interesting, because I just played Iceland the night before, and they'd got all of it. So I knew it was good, and I'd already played. That was the 20... Iceland was the 27th country that I'd played. And so I thought, you know, this stuff works. And and uh, but the mainstream um, English uh, British audience it was in London, and they 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 were they were quite quiet with their laughter, because um, they were not my audience. I was I was in someone else's show. Oh, that's interesting. Now, how much do you? So you were kind of guesting. There was yes, it yeah, was. And, 
so you would still because I, I think something about someone like you uh reeves and mortimer in fact a lot of great performers a lot of great writers a lot of great stand-ups um have created such a full world that sometimes when they have to take the entirety of their their world into someone else's like reeves and mortimer there was that thing where when they were doing wonderful stuff when they did their own shows every now and again they would go off and guest in someone else's show and there's a famous story of them playing the comedy cellar in Bracknell in which from the time they started to the time they ended a petition had gone around the entire audience and it was signed by everyone just saying never have these people back again and yet that audience a year later would probably be watching Channel 4 going this guy's hang on these are the people we saw and we hated because they were in the wrong environment yes I I felt uh, I'm playing to that more mainstream audience because when I was doing the, the circuit, I was playing to a, a more mixed audience. And then when I came off the circuit, or when anyone comes off the circuit, you start playing your own gigs. Yeah. You will self-tailor, self-police your audience into uh, you know where this is going to come from. Like Python, when Python were playing to people, like in, in the ten gigs they did last year, people should have known where they were going to come from. If anyone came along and said, "Why is that?" What did he said kettle there. You know that you shouldn't. It, it, it shouldn't have mattered, but on that audience, I uh, I had to leave gaps for the laughter, and I just thought that the I I was pretty sure that the the producers would drop someone else's laughter onto my thing because it um because that's what you do, and I knew it worked, I knew the stuff worked, but they were it wasn't their cup of tea. Sarah Pascoe's got a really interesting theory about how you need fifty percent of the crowd to know you and like you for your stuff to really really be great like in advance like so once you've got 50 percent of your audience knowing who you are and coming because they want to watch it that's when things really get cooking right because before that it's cooking like 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 last a lifetime cooking or you mean just in that gig i suppose i suppose in that gig but i mean in general if in if you have an audience where at least 50 percent of the crowd are like oh i know this person i can't wait to see this person or i know this person i like what they do I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true because you can come in and be, oh, where's this person from? I did do the Hysteria Three benefit I did years ago. I did being brought up by wolves, and that sort of took off in the gig. But it was one that hit was always hitting well. But I don't think anyone in that theatre necessary every time. Definitely. I don't think anyone in that theatre knew who I was. So that that was the interesting thing, Um, and and they all went, oh, this is someone we didn't know with a rather dangerous shirt, but. It, it's making us laugh more than we thought we would, and I think they they were going, oh, we're very happy that this is an unusual thing because we yeah. didn't. This is just some git. I say sometimes you, yeah, yeah. So sometimes then you can. But I think generally that, that is. But, yeah, yeah. I think or, generally that rule is. Or sometimes it's, it's, uh, I was thinking uh, I did. Uh, there was a Douglas Adams 60th birthday show at the Hammersmith Apollo. Of course, you know Douglas Adams wasn't there, and it was a beautiful show, and it was there was so much the original cast of Hitchhikers were there, oh. and then and they wanted me to come on and do some sciencey stuff, and that one I'm sure there were lots of people in the audience who might not listen to some of the things that I do or whatever. But the moment that I, st- I, I thought, I, can have, I, the, I open with a physics joke, which is one of those jokes which, as long as you know a little bit about physics, people go, oh, that's fun, isn't it? We're going to have fun with it. And it was great. And then a week later, I was doing a benefit for Scope, I think it was, and Ben Elton was comparing it. And as I walked on, I immediately thought, you know what? What I had in my mind of the fun I was going to have has changed. And I know that with this audience, I'm going to have to go, no, remove that. And, the, and I had, you know, that bit where there's suspicion. Well, we've heard of Al Murray. We know who Ben Elton is. Who's this middle-aged man in a cardigan? And that's that indifferent. You know, you can be in the same room. But once that audience is, they go, well, we, we're not, this is not our mindset. And you go, oh, I have to, I have to try and woo them in. There's definitely something that I, I remember seeing. Um, 
<sighs> great American Gary Shandling. Uh, he was hosting. Well, he was hosting the Emmys. I think it was. He was hosting the Emmys. One. I happened to one couple of Emmys. So I was watching that because he was. Uh, he was doing that, but he was just so relaxed and, and off off beat and off the wall and and that's his, what his stuff was but they knew him and I just thought I, I realised that if you are known to especially in a hosting thing if you're known to a public then it just you, you can go weird things you can go weird places and people will go okay that he's going weird or whatever but if you're if you're new you have to win so much it's so much energy has to go into winning people over mm. whereas if you're hey it's that guy again or that woman again then, then they um, that's so much that's so much easier yeah, I remember seeing Chris Rock at the Comedy Cellar in McDougal Street on a Thursday night. It was in New York where they just have loads of comics turning up and he yeah. turned up at two in the morning. And to be honest, he didn't really do anything for 20 minutes, but he got away with it because they're going, we're in this tiny place. It's Chris Rock saying, yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm Chris Rock. It's Chris Rock who just said that. Yeah, I bet the owner's out there saying, hey, Chris Rock's on. Chris Rock just said he was on. And he managed to get away. With it. And you thought, I don't even really know why he turned up to say, I'm Chris Rock and I'm here. And everyone went, he is. That'd and be nice. a lovely time seeing him. That'd and be great. That, that was enough, really. Was was just to see him. Well, we're gonna. Uh, we want to talk about books. We well, well I was gonna. Well, start I want to tell you my theory of the universe. No. Well, that, okay. <laughs> now, now, this is one thing. Then we will start off, which is one of the the worst questions. Is always where do you get your ideas from? But the reason that I would is. You talk about so many ideas, uh, historical ideas, mythical ideas, scientific ideas. What, when you, that starting point of seeing an idea, seeing something through a telescope, whatever it might be, looking at the night sky. Can I tell you what, my theory of the universe? We'll get to the theory of the universe. The point is, if you bl- you blow because the podcast, if you give a theory of the universe at the no, beginning. Because, no, because you've got to discuss it and see whether... Okay, I just, you know, sometimes people go, there's going to be a theory of the universe, let's stay listening. No, no, this is okay. not, but this is right, the starting well, point. And the only reason I've, because I was trying to get into the stand-up, because I thought it might be right. And... Then I just wanted to say, and I did say this, but you know, like shifting plate system, you know who that came from because you're a scientist. That came from a German weather man who who died tragically in a uh, um, in a snowstorm. Uh, but he said, I think the shifting plate systems, and they said, well, you're not geologists, and so bog off, man. And Semmelweis, although he was a surgeon, but Ignaz Semmelweis was like, guys, we need to wash our hands. And they were like, you don't know what Mm. you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, so there's a number of those. So I want to tell you this, because I've been trying to get on your show. But we want to have you on the show. Well, but this is is kind of a monkey hedge thing. I love the idea that we'd audition. We're going to audition, Eddie, as I'll see what his theory of the universe. (laughs) If it's good enough, we'll have him on Radio 4. It takes a paragraph to do it, but but I'm I'm interested in it because... um, Anyway, I'll just tell you it. And it takes about a, it takes a few minutes, about four minutes to, to do it, I'd say. And I've, I've tried to distill it down to the easiest way to explain it. So, okay, three of us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we flash back to 1500, so Henry VIII, all that stuff, Tudors. Um, I say, you go off in the, that direction, and you go off in this direction. We're all going to go off in different directions. We're going to head off uh, through, we'll go back on, onto the surface level, and we just follow a compass, and we're just going to head in one direction, away from each other. Okay. And if we keep on that direction and get boats and things and things and cars and whatever uh, you want, we'll come back to the same place. Now, if we said that in the 1500s, they would have said, um, well, that's you're crazy, that's against God, maybe, if they were very religious people or if they were scientists they would have said no this is illogical you can't go in one direction and come back in the same direction but now we know that was true then that was always been true we're living on a football you go off in one direction you come back to the same place 
Um, and I think we take us three now, we go into outer space, and then now we go off, we can go off on any plane. And I think if we go for a long enough time, we will come back to the same point in space. I think all space wraps around on itself. It's the only way to explain space. Wherever you are in space, it all comes around to that point again. Just like wherever you're on the Earth, you can go off the direction. That it, it could be the center of the Earth for you because, you know, you go all the way around. I mean, we have a North Pole, South Pole, but forget all that stuff. It's wherever you are can be your center. And on the, on the other side, there's an opposite side. And I think that's how I'm just playing this sort of logic on this. So, so wherever you get, there's no, you know, we can't be a wall in space with the squirrel behind saying, don't come back here, no, we haven't worked this out. It it just wraps around itself. Then I think Hubble said, correct me if I'm wrong, that he said the, uh, he saw the redshift thing and he said the, the galaxies are, are moving further and further away. Further away yeah. And so therefore the universe is expanding. Maybe it's just going around the back of the universe because there was a big bang and it goes, it shoots around, it goes around the back of the universe, comes back to a big crunch, boom, goes right around a big bang, big crunch, big bang, big crunch. And it's like a heartbeat, it's like lungs or whatever it just goes on it's been going on forever it's not it doesn't there's no beginning no end there's no no one arranging it it's just that and it's as random as it looks they talk about the goldilocks period some people say that means that god must have arranged to place the earth right here any closer to the sun we burn up any further away we'll freeze no it's just our time to be here and do this it's just as random as it looks there is no god no one's controlling it we just happen to be here doing this right now and once you and that's freaky but once you get over that it sort of makes sense. The randomness, because if you put a god into any, you know, the thing of God, if you could put a god into any of the plan of humanity, I've always said it looks like it's a god with no plan. It's a god's going, I have got no plans. Just do what you want. Because it's so random. Really bad guys go on and live, die in their bed. Stalin died in his bed. Um, uh, Mugabe is still going. You know, and then good people, David Bowie died at 69. My mum died at 40. People die in the concentration camps. Thousands, you know, surely Hitler, God should have flicked Hitler's head off. But, I just think it's it, it's all circular. Everything's curves. All the planets are curves. All the orbits are curves. Everything's curves, 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 curves. That's how I think it'll work. It's just eternal, no beginning, no end, boom, heartbeat. That's my theory of the universe. We've got a couple of other physicists to uh, look at. And then, <laughs> no, I think that, well, the idea of the circular thing, I think there's an interesting thing about also travelling around the world, which is because flat Earth is coming back now. There are, like, Brian Cox and others are going, we've had the flat earthers onto us again. YouTube is and full of flat I know, which, But I, I still think some of this is situationist pranksters. But mm. there's, for quite a long time, in fact, b before the 16th century, there were still, mo the majority were actually going, no, it's probably some kind of, I mean, you had, uh, who's it who worked out the Eratosthenes, who did this wonderful thing where he uh, thought, I, I want to work out the circumference of the earth. Because uh, he looked at the shadows in a well and he thought the shadows change size. So hang on, if the shadows are changing size, that means otherwise the stick will always show the same shadow. So it must be curved. And so he sent his uh, servant out to pace a distance with a stick and just and shadows. And so, but the idea of traveling through the universe and finding you end up where you started is, I think, a very kind of acceptable idea. And then you get an Einstein idea, which Alan Moore can tell says so much better. There was a wonderful moment. You would love Alan Moore because he's also he's, he's he's a magician amongst many other things and a fabulous writer. And he was talking about an idea of Einstein's, which is that uh, basically uh, our life just happens over and over again. You can't change anything. That the nature of space time may well allow for the fact that it just goes up. You live it again and again and again and again. There's no deja vu. There's none of that. None of that comes into it. So that kind of circular thing. There's a lot. I think you know, playing with the well, idea of circles. Native American is... religion. Everything goes back to the earth, 
um, the circles. I, I called a show circle years ago, and I never quite... I should have had a whole circular thing where I came back to the beginning, like a Pulp Fiction film, but I never... I couldn't... I was too lazy to get that to happen. But it is... The circular thing is the thing that makes the most sense. But anyway, I'm just applying logic to it. And uh, that could all be wrong, what I've just said, or it could... Some of it could be wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I don't I think... Th- 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 you know what? Current thinking, I, I don't think happened. it is. Uh, you wouldn't say it was it, it was all wrong at all. I think that that's one of the fascinating things is that once you go, the idea of there being a centre... There's a great book, which I think we've talked about before, called Stranger Than We Can Imagine. Uh, it's by a man called John Higgs, who wrote a fantastic book as well about the KLF, why they might have burnt a million pounds and all the influences that, that led to that. I saw but him at John, the John is great. He was, it was so nice to see yeah, him. And, and he talks about the loss of the omphalos. The, what happened at the beginning of the 20th century, the omphalos is the centre of things. So he talks about... In fact, it links nicely to you because you appeared in the movie about the uh, Joseph Conrad, the secret agent movie, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Well... It, the real story, you know, the anarchist going to it's blow up uh, the Meridian, the, the uh, Greenwich, you know, Greenwich meter. And he says, basically, after that point, because of our new understanding of science, there was no longer a centre. This is where time begins. There was no longer, once we have a new understanding of physics. After which point? The, the blowing up basically, of time or after time? No, was basically, once, once you have, point. when we have things like quantum mechanics, once yeah. you have uh, this things behaving differently depending on you know when we get down to this size when we get down to this scale we have quantum behavior and when we get to this scale then we have this you know the the behavior that we have and the way that we interact with uh, gravity etc and he says there's a point in the 20th century where we lose so much certainty and you can either embrace that and go, this is going to be a trip, this is a ride, because there's, you know, the, the definites are gone, but there are still least wrong answers. It doesn't kind of mean that science is out the window because th- this is the least wrong version of events that we have. But I think all of that kind of comes into that circular thing as well. That's so there's not there's not a center. So you know the idea that we used to think we were the center of the solar system, we used to think we were somehow special. Right. You know we weren't like all the other animals. But all of the loss of that I think makes the, it more of an adventure. It's the twentieth to twenty first century in terms of the way humans experience their lives because, like especially what I feel like is the predominant thing of the twenty first century is everyone. Every human on the planet is freaking out because all our seasons are wrong and because all of the... Uh, nothing's making sense and because politically so many things seem unstable and confusing. And so it's almost like that has caught up to the broader sense of science that people had in the 20th century. In the 21st century, everyone is like, what is happening? That what we thought we understood about what the world was going to do and how the world was going to be is not what is going on now. That is what I think. Um, I, do you know what? During that, I was thinking, that sounds very interesting. And um, I was thinking about when you started talking about the universe. And sometimes when I try and think about the size and the scope of the universe, it just makes me feel physically sick. That's yeah, all I can do. And then, but then I was relying on you, Robin, to then be able to go, well, of course, in recent scientific thought, there has been this person, this person, this person, who all agree with you and this. And I was disappointed that you couldn't be more... It's in immediately specific. With but that's the great thing yeah. about science is that what we have with a references. lot of cosmological ideas is we have some things where we go, this is def- this is a great idea, this is the idea we're running with, and then you have things like you know string theory, and you have many worlds interpretation where you go. The string theory's gone away now. Has it? No, string theory hasn't gone away now. But I, I made the decision a while back, going, do you know what? I'm not going to read that many books to then be told when I'm 67. By the way, we're not going to go with string theory. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I read the elegant universe, but it, it's still a beautiful well, idea. On. I think you. 
can have just because an idea isn't definite you just go well let's have fun with it I mean that's what I think with your stand up when I think of when I first saw you and you had great routines about the mujahideen uh, and treacle pudding under their beards and you know <laughs> shopping for jumpers in you know, all of these things and the man on the bus who had uh, the bald man who someone had been sick on his head and then there's a point where you that that was uh, you sat on a bus and you realised the reason the seat was free. This is you see I remember yeah, I because remember that, I, it was I the Grey Fries Kirk House where I I filmed your show every night when oh, we were there because you were you know you yes, wanted to see what's and so I got to know it off by heart myself and and KP our friend yes, KP yes, as well and uh, who makes the peanuts? Uh, don't say that's what my mum used to say. Oh, the uh, um, but that. Uh, <laughs> But then there's a bit where you seem to become increasingly excited by ideas of evolution, ideas of cosmology. Well, and I wondered what the starting point for that was. Oh, well, it's, uh, people used to say, your, your humour is gentle. And I thought, that's not very good. I don't want to be gentle. And then I noticed that Bill Hicks uh, was... Uh, Bill Hicks I was an admirer of, but I wasn't a fan of. His stuff was different to mine. Uh, so it wasn't, I just watched all of Bill Hicks, but I noticed that Bill Hicks, I remember doing, doing something, says, George Michael, God, he's, he, he's, he's just a girl, he's a big girl, isn't he, big girl? And I thought, well, Bill, that's not a great sort of uh, um, um, target for you to go for. And then later on, he was using it brilliantly, and he said, hey, they've got these, they're setting the missiles in with laser guided film, and it blows things up. Why can't they send a banana into somebody's mouth who's starving? And, and I thought, okay, this is great. Now, this is really using it well. And I thought, I've just got to get my stuff, and, get, and I'm interested in history. And I realized no one was doing history. And I thought, well, that could, as a white male stand-up, this is I was before I was uh, told everyone that I was transgender, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go into that. And... Um, and then I realized it's the perfect thing. I start the show with human sacrifice, and that's a good place for me to go. Because if I dig around in human sacrifice, I do find there is this point, which I say in the show, at some point, somebody back then said, look, the weather's bad, the crops have failed, the gods obviously hate us, so we're going to kill Steve. And that is <laughs> insane. That is fascism. That is the beginning of fascism. If someone controlled it. Someone said that I'm on a direct line to the gods, and we're going to kill Steve, and that's going to be good. And it's totally illogical there is no logic because you would have said Steve has been created by the gods how on earth by killing something that the gods has made are you going to make the gods happy they're going to be furious that not only are you doing something wrong but you're actually taking out humans that they've created and these are one of the top level of animals that we've got and you're taking them out you should have everyone should have argued that but then the guy with the big hat on would have said I am talking to God directly he says you are next as well and he said well actually and that's the beginning of that my, uh, control the freedom of speech goes out the window la 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 and um, so, yeah, I just thought, dig around in those places. That's the, the interesting thing. And, it, and it, it just, it means you, you can have a thought behind something. I can be as silly as I want. I've got Caesar, who was really very close to Hitler. You know, very, murdered a million in Gaul, enslaved another million. That is Hitlerian stuff. Um, and, but he, he became a general, and he didn't actually have general's experience. And uh, he was with Mark Antony, so I assume Mark Antony must have been his military advisor. Um, and so he's in Gaul, and he, the Battle of Alicia is the, one of his most famous battles. Uh, he, he's fighting Vercingetorix, he ring fences all his men around the bottom of the fortress, does a siege thing, but then all the Gaulish warriors from other tribes come to the, the aid, so he builds a second ring fence, so there's a corridor of power. And I and I got him talking to, to I said, where did Chicken Caesar Salad come from? Well, he worked very closely with chickens, and, and, and Mark Anthony was a chicken going, and he said, i got to build a second ring fence. Yeah, 
So this chicken developed out of just me going through logical, or once you shove the chicken in there, then you, you've actually got the Battle of Alicia. Um, I got a very nice review that said wonderful things, but he says, education value is nil, <laughs> along with loads of other very positive things. But I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's actually got all this stuff. It's got stuff where the English language comes from, 330 years of, of um, French-speaking kings ruling us, up until Henry the Third or the Fourth, I think, who decided, I'll do this coronation in English. Uh, probably he said that with a French accent. Um, you know, just because there's a lot of English-speaking people in the country. So I just that's an interesting place of merging my interest in, in history and putting the silly comedy into that. And in fact, Python did that. I suddenly got looking at it. I thought, well, I suppose that's what Holy Grail was, then grabbing hold of that. It's a myth legend story rather than uh, history. But then in Life of Brian, that is a, an examination of um, the, the schisms of, of, of religion, how Messiah... Um, Messiah started, you know, there's a whole Messiah mania going on back in that time, all that stuff they put into it. Uh, and then they talk about unions as well and what did the Romans ever do for us and, and the ir irony that the oppressors can actually bring some useful stuff with you like aqueducts and things and wine and cooking because all the roast dinners come from the Romans. Uh, the Libra Ponda, the pound is Roman. You know, everyone was going on, you know, about uh, euros and pounds and it's actually an Italian thing. We'll say, no, it's British, but it's a pound, Libra Pond is a pound of weight, it's a pound of silver. So, all that history stuff. And if you, I got this theory, another theory. Oh, I, I, I come right. with theories. A history plus. I'm still shape. stuck on the idea of starting every show actually with human sacrifice. See, when you said that, I now imagined you and me, Josie, touring our shambles show yeah. and saying, Pan, Odin, whoever else, One we offer this sacrifice <laughs> here at the Glee Club Birmingham so that our jokes are good. No, just, if, you, if you actually did it. Can we have a volunteer from the crowd? No, yeah. no, nothing silly, nothing <laughs> silly. Put this shroud on. Stage. The, but, but that's the, interesting. When you say about the when someone goes, there's no educational value. Oh, I'm because say this, this quick, that quick thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. History plus the change in society multiplied by the change in technology equals the future. That's if you look at the repeats of humanity, plus it in because in mathematical terms that's not much of a change. Society gradually changes. Multiply it, big change because the uh, um, technology can jump things forward. And then you should be able to read the future by seeing the repeats of good things and bad things you've, you've got in the past. So you can read the future that way. The right, speed now, of information, I think, is one of the... That, that's, that's the de when does the speed of information I exceed the human ability to grasp it? And therefore, mm -hmm. do we then suddenly get, uh, you know, as opposed to going, we should still be moving forward because we have such access to so much information. And you go, ah, but there's so much wrong information we now have access to, mm -hmm. uh, the social media. Flat I let like your, like your hang on there. What was your hang on? Oh, I, no, I think it was more to do with, like, hang on, let's just go through this again, guys. Let's, let's think well, about look, this. Human, humans keep repeating stuff, yeah? Like... Um, Tyrants keep coming out, warlords, tyrants, kings. But that's because life is thing. short and you have to catch up. No, no, no. I'm just saying look at the patterns, mm. yeah? If you look at the patterns of, of good things, you get some people come along who are wise. There have been wise men and women, probably all the women written out of history, but wise men. You've got a Nelson Mandela, you, you've got a Mohandas um, Gandhi. And you, back in the day, we would have said they were gods. They would have become gods, wouldn't they? God, like Jesus guy was a real guy called Yeshua or Yoshua, not Jesus. That's the Greek version of his name. He was a wise man. Muhammad was a wise man. So these wise guys, well, wise guys isn't the right word, wise men come along and they say, I, no, I think... I like the sketch now you've created of the wise guy. <laughs> 
guys, this well, kind of good fellas of Mahomet yeah, and why, Jesus. But why are they called wise guys in in in, uh, in uh, mafia terms? Do you know what? Guys, I don't know. Why is it wise guys? guys? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it rhymes. It's a good start. People love a thing that rhymes. But you think? Well, they're wise, wise enough guy. to to get in with the family, and then they they obviously get a good cut of the money. Is that what? Is that the wisdom? Wise but enough to know what's I, going. I don't think wise. I think just guys who <laughs> mafia guys is really what they should say. If you're a member of mafia, <laughs> please tweet us or no, send a DM to Facebook. Send it on the stamped address postcard. Do you remember those days? Stamped address <laughs> postcard to. Back in the day, you used to have to send it all in. On Book that. shambles at the multicolour swap shop Wood Lane. The, uh, Not so enough people the, um, sending in letters. But this that bit we're talking about education where. That you're not going to be get you know, you're not going to go and see one of your shows and go oh good I can now sit the exam, but, no, but what you're going to go is go oh do you know what he said a thing is that thing true about and then yeah. you go and because I, I think that's something that is almost getting lost in a lot of the mass media, which is to go we're going to have fun with some ideas but we're not going to just give you here is your block of information we're going to fly around a bit and then with luck you're going to go do you know what I need to go mm. on the internet or I need to go and buy a book or I need to buy a telescope and I need to find out more so it's a springboard even if it's not a kind of completed. Well, they, I started putting a bleep track on my DVD so that uh, teachers, because they kept saying, oh, we've just shown that little history bit, because you do get the Battle of Alicia in a nutshell with the chicken saying that you've got to have two lines of Vercingetrix as the guy we're after. Um, you can get these these things out. And it's, there's nothing big whoop about it. It's just anyone can do this. Um, it's just I like shoving it in. And, uh, you know, I had Lord Kelvin jokes back in the day. And, and um, you know, on this, that was on the circle too, I think it was. What, minus 273 degrees centigrade? Yes. And I was putting all my O-level and A-level uh, physics into stuff and, and getting use out of it because there's a lot of stuff we learn at school and then we just dump it. We yeah. do not touch it again. And it's great. I could keep shoving it into my... And it's so nice with stand-up because stand-up, like, like you were saying about kind of putting something unusual into the mix and that creating the comedy with the diagonal yeah you could and, and that's what you've got you've got this bank of knowledge that you can just pluck laterally yeah. and muck around with also when you I did, sorry ask, no i wanted to ask you um when you started out researching stuff like this what did you do did you go do you go to Me museums research. yeah so when you you know when you're thinking about a show say you were thinking you'd like to write uh, know about history or stuff like that so you don't read any specific types of books no. you don't go stuff you just sort of I, I i go i do work in progress so this is what i'm going to do in france mm-hmm. i'm going to go to france and i'm going to do with a salute to sam beckett i will go on stage and i will i will have a few ideas written down that might have come to me and i'll just go one of them easter island I kept on saying they built 887 heads. It should be able to get it into pieces standard because they had meetings. I think it's the same joke over and over again. So but I can when never... you find these things out, do you find them out from going out, going away no. specifically to read, or no. do you? I just walk in along and something. Or I think Easter. Actually, we could talk about that because those Easter Island meetings. There must have been okay. We're Easter Island. We're here. Jeff wanted to call it Easter Island. That's quite fun. We've been looking for Easter eggs. Still, the public are not coming because we're stuck in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You want to call it the Pacific Ocean? Okay, I think that's quite fun. Fine. Now, what are we going to do? Okay, Roger, let's uh, we'll do a bit of a maypole dot. Okay, Steve, we could do a cooking evening. Yes, thanks. Uh, Kenny, uh, build a huge fuck-off head. Huge fuck-off head, okay. Uh, so it's a renaissance idea. We're thinking out of the box. Don't block anything. So I love going back to that. And, and, and there must have been meetings after meetings where they say, we've now got 27 heads. And, well, I think another six heads. Six more? That'll be 33 heads. We're going to stop this at some point. And then they got up to 887 heads. 
endless meetings. Jeff they just gets bored of it by then. Yeah, I, but you, the, I can't keep the public with it. it. It talks, but that's what I would do in French. So I, I will just start with the colonel, and I will go out and go. So nous sommes ici les les têtes les têtes sur l'île de Pâques. Île de Pâques, Israël. Les têtes et maintenant il y a 887 têtes sur la terre. Pourquoi? Pourquoi? Il y a les 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 les, 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 les meetings, les rendez-vous, les. Uh, yeah, that's I feel right. like I should know what the word for meeting is. I feel In like French? I did a segment of business French, <laughs> and I could definitely say <laughs> like tweeting. I'd like to see more. Well, there is there is something very beautiful about East Island, Island though as well, and very tragic, which is that thing of. Someone at the meeting must have gone, do you know what, lads? We need to keep some of the trees that grow the fruit. Because, of course, Easter Island is often used now as an example of this is what happens when you go consumer mad. More heads! More heads! <laughs> what about just saving one apple tree? Fuck the apple tree! Big heads! Sometime later, these statues aren't very delicious. <laughs> I'm right. hungry. So, That's you know, when, East, yeah, so when Easter Island was actually found, you know, when it was, when it was you know, dis discovered by the West, you know, mm. Cook, uh, basically there's just a few people sitting there who are Really hungry, surrounded by going these fucking heads, <laughs> and, and that is a so it has oh, a magnificent story. No, that's so, good. The, the, so I that's why I start with a kernel of a thing and I build it. Yeah. Um, like I've got a little section with Charles the First's. He was the first one. I said long hair. I thought wigs. Why did they go into wigs? And I I didn't. I just thought he was the first Charles first one to get a King Charles spaniel strap it on his head just because it had spaniels and King Charles and and so then I had a lot of courtiers strapping dogs on heads going I have a dog on my head too and so that became a piece even though that doesn't really tell you much except wigs did come in there was a point where we said our own hair is no fucking good let's get more hair from dead people and strap it on and and why and the women can do it now with impunity and men can't and as a transgender person I've tried I can't get I can't get wigs to work with me, but it's 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 a, now it's a girl thing. It was a girl thing, uh, boy. I got, I'm not talking boy girl thing, but you know, at a certain point, boys, men, they had tons of wigs, and then they chucked them on, and then they went weird, didn't they? There were big, long, curly wigs, mm. like like big curly hair wigs, and then there was the short, tighty, you know, Revolutionary War mm. wigs, which the Americans had, and we obviously had, and which judges still. I mean, and there must have been a period the where there was one yeah. guy who was like, "No, no, the big ones are going to come back in. They'll yeah. come back in." Well, this is it. This is how I do my stand-up. I don't write it all. I just workshop just everything. But that's a great thing for the Civil War, because that's the get-out, isn't it? The get-out is, when you think, do you know what, I don't think it's going so well for Charles, uh, tell you what, give me a bowl cut underneath this. So the moment that they <laughs> go, the, you know, the moment the round heads come, then you just go, put the wig in the hedge, hello, lads, yeah, he's over there. So there's quite an interesting <laughs> idea that it could give you, also, wigs give you a lovely this alibi. Is, this is what you would have done. No, not necessarily, but I'm just thinking that the wig allows you to live a double life, both as a roundhead and a cavalier. <laughs> I, I think uh, there would have been an accent to go with it. I think the the posh would be able to go. Rah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, I don't know. Well, he was he was from Norfolk, wasn't he? Norfolk area. Yeah. Um, 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 Cromwell. Cromwell. Yeah. Who, if he hadn't murdered lots of Catholics, would probably just go down as top level, uh, you know, guy who pushed back on kings who wanted to be, you know, divine rights of kings, and because Charlie was trying to do what what Louis was doing over in France. No one's going to forgive him for banning Christmas. No one will forget. No one will forgive. Did he ban I, I yeah, think Cromwell's lack of Puritans. joie de vivre, yeah. that's what got him. We don't mind some South of these changes, stuff. but we still want to have a bit of fun. Yeah. Put he, the party poppers away, lads. He, no was one dug up and, he was dug up and hung, you know. They dug him up dead and hung and hung. That's such a fascinating thing that he hasn't suffered enough. You go, it's he's dead. No, he didn't suffer hang at him. all, didn't he? Hang him. He didn't you know, that, yeah, that's the thing. Because he actually just... won. Uh, but then, then the royalty came back. and. So uh, yeah. if you 
If you if you don't read much to research, what do you read for pleasure? What do you enjoy reading? I don't read. Ha! Is that so true? How do, that's the thing. Oh, what, so, what do you take? Sorry, that wasn't me like, ha! I, I didn't mean it like that. You, I just, that just the way you said it was very sassy it and it amused me. Well, no, I, I, do, I, do, I do read, what do I read? I don't read. No, I don't really read. It's bizarre because I can read and I do like biographies more. So actually I do read factual stuff mm-hmm. way more than non-factual. Uh, that's called fiction. Mm. Um, We've had a lot of trouble with that yeah, because the other day I was saying, you know, what about not non-fiction? And then someone said they call it fiction, but I think not non-fiction is just more fun. There was faction stuff, wasn't there? Then there's yeah. faction. Ooh, yeah, there's, in cold is, blood. Yeah, in cold blood. Yeah. Well, so, what do you? Uh, what? Whose biographies have you read and particularly enjoyed that you'd recommend to people? Well, lots of actors, you know, because I want to do acting, and I, I read a lot of those, and their, their their biographies are already interesting until they said, and then I got successful, and then I did huh. something else, and yeah. that was really successful, and I did that, and that was really successful, and then you go, this is a really boring one now. It's all the struggle is interesting. That's those struggle of anyone. Um, so uh, Alan Cummings' book is very interesting so, about uh, the relationship with the person he believed to be his father. Right. Which I've now totally slipped my mind with, and it is called something like uh, "Not My Father." I can't believe that I can't remember it. Can you look it up, Trent? But it's it's a really interesting because it's not a autobiography as such as this is part of the story of my life, and it's right. this particular part. And I think that's uh, and but it's, there's always a danger because part of being an actor is constant mythologizing as well, isn't it? So you go well. Some some people you don't want to know the truth. It's like with certain people you don't want to meet. Someone says, I've, I've been lucky. Most of the people that I admire that I've got to meet have been brilliant and interesting. But some people you think, well, no, what they are. Like with Alec Guinness. You know, Alec Guinness apparently could just, he would just disappear. You you went out for a drink with him, whatever. And then the moment he was out of the pub and he'd walked up, oh, he's gone. I, I've no idea. Because part of what made him who he was and the greatness of that acting is he is then very blank for the rest of it. Each bit can then be glued on. For Well, yeah, the... That that is that is an interesting thing. If you um, have um, how you develop sense of self, because I remember when I I started, I was doing sketch comedy, and I that was the one thing I could do naturally. Everything else, I've had real difficulty learning stand up, uh, acting, all, all all things. I've had to add on uh, and build on to myself. But the sketch, I could, I felt Michael Palin. I felt very much that that was where I wanted to go and I felt I could go. I could go, uh, strange women lying upon distributing soldiers, no basis for a system of government, supreme executive, mm-hmm. but drives a mandate from that. And I would sort of could recite these things off. And particularly Michael, because he would move very, I could play, I'm I am a, um, I'm a general, I'm, a, I'm in charge of everything. Now everyone go and stand over there and all the, and then, oh, I don't want to stand over, I've got no soup. Uh, well, the soup is, this is war, it's not soup, it's no soup in war. No crying in baseball. There's no soup in war, you know. And I, I just play all these different voices, and I had, I didn't have a sense of self at all. And I looked at, and the, Mer- and nothing was working anyway. But I, I did look at what America did. America seemed to play st- star, per, you know, like the one person with the voice, and they would do that. It's not all the way. Dan Aykroyd didn't. He always played lots of characters and developed a sense of self. And Eddie Murphy was someone who could effortlessly jump between Eddie Murphy's and and characters. But actually, the first things I only saw him when he was playing Eddie Murphy. But um, I thought so. I thought there's a British thing that we always play characters, and the American thing they play star themselves. And I thought I need to develop that sense of self, which I actively tried to do when I was street performing. To develop, I had to talk to people, and there was no characters in any of that street performing. You do physical situation comedy on the street. The street is the secret weapon. The street, you would no one would choose, no stand up would choose to go and learn street. It's so hard because. 
there's part of it is wrangling audience yeah. and that is just not part of anything that any creative person does to actually tr yeah. work out what you've got to do to actually make people stand there while you do the thing and the thing you have to do cannot be you cannot go out of the space of the room of the space of the of the, the street that you're on you can't say now that you're all here i was in the supermarket the other day and they go yeah well i'm gonna go to the supermarket now they can just go mm -hmm. so you actually have to do stuff where you have to get a volunteer out. You pretty much do because that becomes the audience representative, and they could die doing what they do. Get, hold me on this unit. You get the flaming clubs. You know, you have to do something that makes people. In the end, I got on a five-foot unicycle and got out of a pair of handcuffs because people would stick around even in the rain to think, "Oh, he may die." I think that was at the back of their heads. Well, what did you find though when you made the transition? When you were doing, I know you were still doing street stuff when you. In fact, I think one of the first years in Edinburgh that you, you were doing a street show and then you would do, you know, yep, stand-up yep. show. What was the bit where you thought, why, why, when there's a roof and a microphone, does this not? What you know? What is the transition that's required from where you, the jeopardy of the unicycle, the handcuffs, all that stuff, and then suddenly when you're inside, what is the? Is there a change in the languages? A change in the the melodrama required? Um. I know you've got to go, Sorry, haven't you? No, 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 it's just my... That's, that, that's just... I have a daily alarm to say, go and do a theatre show. Remember who you're doing uh, the West End. Do a... Oh, black so, in the West End. So what was... Yes, I said, what was the... I was trying to. Well, what, what was the? Yeah, what was the? There must be a certain point when you. It's a bit like you know that bit when, if you play a small club and then yeah. you play a big theatre. Yeah. And then you go back to a small club and you go, oh, I've made it too big, and now suddenly I've lost a certain sense of the the intimacy you can create in a big room is sometimes different to the intimacy the techniques need. Right. So, so in the same way, when you're here's the sky, here's my unicycle, and then you're going to play the chuckle club or whatever. Right. And you go, oh, why? Are these techniques not working when I'm in? So, an so, so the question is, when did that happen, or what, what was the what difference? Was it, what did you the notice with the, with the things where you went? This is a trick. Well, remember, I'd, the weird thing is, I'd started indoors, come right. outdoors, then gone back indoors. So I started indoors with characters, come out and learned how to and develop myself, and then I went back because stand up was never on my books. Just never, ever in a million years am I going to do stand up because it's it's one you have to play. You have to have a narrator. In stand-up, you have a narrator. This is what I now do Python. All my sketches are Python. All the characters go, oh, I don't want to be... Why, why don't you stand over there? Well, All that different voice play. That's just the characters I used to do. I used to play one of them, and we used to change costumes and do a lot of effort to get between that stuff, whereas I can just jump into them and jump out of them. Uh, and so that is really totally stolen from Python. But the narrator, the guy at the front, says, why do chickens give us so much heart? They just, God, cutting you... <laughs> why are they taking over the world whatever I, I just I go into this narrator thing and which we all have as and some people keep it mainly in the narrator they don't do characters um, but that was the thing I had to learn and that is the thing that has given it but um, so so outdoors I learned to, to do a narrator indoors before I'd done sketch comedy by coming indoors um, I was floundering around because I couldn't write any, and I really did try writing, and I couldn't do it. And I was ad-libbing into. I knew that when I ad-libbed, it would work, but uh, when I was in the zone. But if I if I couldn't get in the zone, how are you going to do that? And I was used to walk around Streatham Common and ad-lib into a tape recorder because then it could work. But uh, it it was the melding of the of the narrator that I developed who would present these shows where I'd get on a unicycle and get out of a pair of handcuffs, taking that narrator and taking the ideas. And bringing the sketches in. And there was a transition sketch I did at Jackson Slane Workshop where I, I cannibalized a sketch I'd written where some interviewer who's 
completely straight, essentially going, so you have an addiction? Yeah, uh, yeah, I got an addiction. Uh, yeah, it's been a number of years. Uh, yeah, it's given time. And it, it's breakfast cereal. Yeah, but yeah, Frosty is addicted to them drink, you know. And it was all different types of things and chasing the Scotsman where you put porridge on a thing and light a candle and, things, and inhale the fumes and all this. So I was just playing on that kind of, instead of addiction to drugs, addicted to breakfast cereal, which was kind of me. And I said both bits myself and I just, so I took out the interviewer. I'd written that as a sketch. It had been done on a television sketch show, and I cannibalised it, and it, that worked. And I thought, that's what I'll just do. I'll just write two personal sketches, cut out the first person, do it over and over again. But once I'd done it, I didn't even have to do that again. But it, 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 it's always been difficult to write it. My, my brain went faster than my fingers could write, and so I still don't write any of it. I just improvise it, which I think a number of people do. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you write yours? Yeah. Well, that, no. I, I, I transcribe after. I, I, I have a load of postcards and I scribble three or four words on them. Mm. And then sometimes if I, I think, oh, I've been asked and to do this show. And I'm, yeah, <laughs> I send them to MPs. But no, it's, and, I, and, I look at, and then I go, what the fuck was that meant to mean? And then it's half the time the journey of trying to remember what my intention was when I was sitting on a train staring out the window mm. and, I, and I saw a field of alpacas or whatever it yeah. was, you go, ah, oh, now I've found the thing. But it's, I, I think there's something, it's interesting. I work with a stand-up who's been going longer than any of us in this room. And it's still, he did not believe that anyone goes on stage and makes stuff up. What? He really thinks that, yeah, but we've all written it before. that's the fun part. I know. Oh, it, was, it was fascinating to me that there was someone who has been, uh, you know, worked to stand up for over 30, 40 years. I think also if you're brought up on things like Billy Connolly and you just watch, and of course I still think he is the true master. You, in fact, yeah. when you're talking about award ceremonies, in the 80s and the 90s, when you used to see him present the BAFTAs, you thought, no one does it. As beautifully, effortlessly, no one can just do what they want mm. and be so alluring and enigmatic and delightful. Mm. Yeah, I know. Well, Billy was the first alternative standout bef ten years before anyone else mm. did it, kind of thing. Oh no, uh, uh, Jasper Carrot, I'd say were in there. Mm. Well, I mean, there must have been a few, but Billy was a sort of stand. God, I bet there were loads who no one knows about as well. Well, there were a lot of mainstream ones who were on the comedians going. Yeah. So my wife, my wife, she's. I'm not saying she's fat, but. You know, but isn't that fascinating that there was a point where, because people talk about the fact that Bernard Manning would ruin it for the other acts by he'd go on and he'd do all their jokes. But that, the release from having to do the joke, I mean, no one would have gone up, uh, you know, Eddie, bad news, uh, I'm afraid that uh, um, Joe, Joe Brand's already done the right. brought up by Wolves routine. Yeah. <laughs> that the freedom... And even and then you then that other lovely thing where some people find that annoying and they'd go you know tell us one we know which I think is a fascinating thing in certain forms of stand up where the working men's club sometimes someone will be doing new new stuff trying out new people don't do do the one about the dog that we like that someone did last week oh okay so there's this yeah. burglar no one goes oh we're happy now because we know what's coming oh, next what, in, in which is such a bizarre thing isn't it Cause surely the know, delight of comedy is going punchlines and routines work because you go. I was surprised. I was surprised. I and then on this occasion, go, we don't want to be surprised. Oh, but there is a second level of, I, uh, the, you know, like I watch all 40,000 and Python and uh, I can like it because I know where it's sure. going, but it's fun to see it again. Well, actually, that was the thing when they did the 10 gigs last year. But wasn't, you watched every one? No, I watched seven. Out of oh, you only watched seven? I was touring on the first time. Oh, because what I found fascinating I when I went one. to see Monty Python was people were not laughing in that way of going, ah, ha, ha, I remember it. The people around me, it was as if it was the first time. They knew it, but it wasn't It wasn't a laugh of nostalgia. The excitement yeah. 
the delight, and I found it very interesting, the newspapers misjudged them, because the newspapers, I think, a lot of the reviewers went, oh, isn't it sad? Look at them going through all this. A bit like with when they misjudged Jarvis Cocker. Remember when he went, went, went up during Michael Jackson's Earth Song? Right. And the newspapers then all wrote these terrible things about him, because they hadn't realised that actually Jarvis Cocker was becoming very loved. And then they had to change around very quickly, in the same way with... They they tried to attack Python, but actually everyone who went went. No, oh, we're having a bloody wonderful now, time. I think it had been long enough away that people could enjoy it again, as if for the first time. Um, well, and, and also bear in mind, like I went, and I'm in my uh, early thirties, mid twenties, mid twenties, and um, I obviously had never had the chance to see them live in my lifetime. So I never seen them live. Wow, really? Well, it's a long time oh, no. since the Hollywood Bowl, yeah, even no. that see, was the eighties, and. I, was, yeah. I thought that you'd done sketches with them. I'd done sketches with them, but I'd never that, seen that them. Was but awesome. I suppose if you're part of it, you can't be like, just yeah. give me a second, I'm going to go and watch this. And that was sort of new sort of things. On That's better than watching them, I would say. Well, it was, you know, I am the, the sad fan who knows all the stuff. Sure. And, and, uh... But I think every comedian used to be a nerd for comedy, I think. But what I love is, I well, I think you need to, it's a bit like when you watch Laurel and Hardy. I, I still have a judgment on people. If people don't like... Laurel and Hardy, and they don't get them at all. I'm suspicious. Oh, I get them, but I'm I'm not bowled over by them. I have you ever I, watched with I like, an audience? I stand, oh no, have you watched Chaplin with an audience? Yeah, well, I I introduced uh, the kid the other night at the slapstick festival um, and with an orchestra, and you just and people go, it's too sentimental, and I go, oh fuck no, because it's real. It's not him going, I'm going to play the audience. Uh, there is a moment in the kid. Where Jackie Coogan is being, t- and you just the whole audience—they're broken apart, mm. and it's beautiful, and it's because you know it doesn't come from a, an equation of there will be a laugh here. It comes from this is part of. My I think childhood. he did put sentiment in, and, and sometimes maybe too much sentiment. I think the kid works perfectly, um, and it was a big hit, one of his first big full films. Because when I played Chaplin for the Bogdanovich film, Cats Meow, um, I looked at all this. Um, and there's a bit where he's doing the kid, and he's going on and on, and all the all the uh, distributors say, oh, "Where's our bloody film?" And he says, "I'm taking a long time." I said, "All right, everyone, come out here." And then when he put, got the distributors, or he paid, he said, "Just come out to my studios, and I'll and I'll show you things, and I'll show you what I'm doing." And so they thought, okay, he's a big star, let's go and see it. So there's a there's footage of that, all the distributors there, and he's got Jackie Cooden, Jackie Cooden does some dance stuff, but also the wife that he's the the 16 year old girl who plays the one of the angels in the thing that he married very soon after that in the Gold Rush, um, that um, she's in that piece, but you can't work that out unless you know what she looks like and know who it is. But that's interesting because it hasn't, I don't think it's been pointed out before. But that, um, so she was obviously, uh, you know, that that was all going on there. But it, anyway, yeah. And he had a, just lost a child as well. Had he lost a child? Yeah, his, his, he, uh, his, his son uh, died after three days. Well, on, on the, at the time of the kid? Yeah, what? just before the kid, uh, with his first wife, I think it would be his first wife, uh, she had a child, died three days uh, later. And no, I thought that was his first. No, no, no. There was no. The, it is the first wife, and in fact, that's towards the end of their relationship as it's falling apart. But yes, she, the, she no, gave birth, and the three days. I think this. Look no, it up in David Robinson's no, book. We all will. But that's the one I read. But yeah, there's three three days. Well, Unknown later. Chaplin was the one that got me hold into Chaplin. But I was a street performer, and it was a hundred. 
uh, year anniversary anniversary of his birth, and I read the book because I thought, why is everyone laughing so much? These to retighten the nuts and bolts in the seats because people are laughing so much. Uh. And I thought, why is it not affecting me? Why does Shakespeare's comedies not affect me? Like, or why does the the mechanicals play just not uh. funny? And and trying to work out what what works and what doesn't, what's taste and what. What but I think a lot of it is watching it with people. When I when mm. I went to watch, I mean, I love Lauren Hardy anyway. But when I went to watch it, County Hospital and Sons of the Desert, with a packed audience in a, just a normal West End cinema, mm. and I was sat next to Johnny Vegas, who'd grown a little Oliver Hardy moustache, I think, just for the evening. The moment the music started, the moment you saw Ollie look at the camera for the first time, the moment Stan gives him what he's brought. He hasn't brought him chocolates. He got hard boiled eggs and nuts. Hud, you know I can't eat those. Why didn't you bring me a box of candy? Well, you haven't paid me for the last lot. And you watch it and you go, all comedy. You, we've never watched Lauren Hardy or Chaplin or whatever till we've actually watched them with an audience. Well, actually in a theatre with an audience, yeah. I would say. Because, you see, they're not designed for home. It's like mm. all those silent movies are designed with no radio. They didn't even have radio at the time. So there's nothing competing with this except for live theatre or live vaudeville. And so if you actually get to see it in a cinema in the proper way that it was designed for, with not only that quick MTV editing, which even now is, is too old hat back in the 80s and 90s, um, that's when you see it perfectly, as, as you should. That's such an interesting point. It's just something that I'd not been thinking. Like, of course, that's not meant to be viewed on a little screen in mm. your house. Little screen in your house, but you've got phones possible, and things and there? doorbells mm. and stuff and, and adverts. Yeah. It does not work. Wow. Well, we better let you go to the West End. Yes. How long's your run on for? How, how long are you doing Force Majeure? Uh, another four weeks. Patty, how I'm so sorry to keep you just before. No, no. It's uh, um, so. Thank you very much. We didn't really talk about many. I was going to talk about the Monty Python books with you, which are still delightful. And the, my favourite stand-up book. I don't know if you have one written by a stand-up, but Steve Martin's Born Standing Up. Ah, I think is audiobook. Th- oh, that's it's a very better because does he read it? Yes, yes. And, and he does the stand-up pieces at half. Energy, which wow. is very interesting. Um, he, uh, so you actually hear what it probably sounded like. So instead of going, he says, "I used to do this bit where he goes." So, because I it really influenced my early stuff. We go, um, I, you know, was oh, it Grandpa got a Johnny? You know, just these weird lines that are coming out from. I just got a new. Um, I just came in the airport and my own uh, personal, uh, um, what do you call it, the personal uh, transportation uh, thing. It's very difficult getting a station wagon to land at an airport. It's quite difficult, you know. And uh, so he would just come out with these things. But where, where was I going with this? Um, uh, oh, yeah, so he does stuff and he will do it. So he will, like that joke, he would say, yeah, I've got, I've got my own system of transportation now and doing it well it's very difficult to land a station wagon in an airport and he does it and it still works as comedy but it's it's not as if he's playing to a big audience and I could never understand why he was so quiet you know because this interviewer said oh he's terribly quiet in the interview and you go really because on television interviews he was he was just took over the thing and and that and then you learn about his dad and there's the whole relationship about his dad that's obviously I think that links through to the, the very quiet person, and who jumps ahead on you know, in an interview. And Rob, Robin Williams was very quiet. There was a quiet place he could go to. Those later interviews, the last couple of years, incredibly thoughtful. 
what, very Rob moving. Williams? Yeah, yeah. When he was doing the, is it the Tiger and Bengal Zoo? I can't remember the the, the Broadway show he did about. Anyway, we better end. But uh, Born Standing Up is a wonderful book. Uh, Eddie, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to seeing your Samuel Beckett take on Stand Up by uh, writing everything in French, which I think is a fascinating. Yes, exercise. well, go to France, develop the next show in French, uh, maybe give it a Russian title, and, and then uh, you have a period of translating it back to English. Yeah, well, see, then the translating to English is going to be easy peasy. Sure. Um, get someone else to do it, and then you can see how they've misled the public. No, no. Oh, that'll just, be a lot. But that's fun. so interesting that English is your first language, but you write in a different language. Well, that's the thing. But it, it'll help me get my French up to a higher level. Um, but that's that is the plan. I, you know, I keep saying it to people, so I, I'm I have to do it now. That's that's another trick I do. Say you're going to do things, sure. and then you have to go and do it. Isn't that great? The fact that stand up can basically just be an alibi for the autodidact to do what they want. And that's the thing where you go, yes. brilliant, I'm going to do a, a show all about brains, which means I now have to spend the time convincing people I can go and have an MRI for free, have an EEG, and then sit around and ask people about stuff. And that, that's, I think that's that research. bit where you go, wow, this is, that's some way of making a living, isn't it? Well, you can, you, can, um, you can look into real things in comedy. Before, we used to say my, my wife, my mother, and all that kind of stuff. But now, we worked out we could be comic philosophers, and you can actually say, why is life like this? Why is... Things and then yeah, I just put cats in there and, and, <laughs> and cats with guns and things like that. But it's still you're still looking at life and how we react to it. And you know, if you get freaked out by the enormity of the things in the galaxies, the trick is just don't bother to get freaked out by it. <laughs> and take a handrail with you at all times. Well, it's it, because you know it, it's you can think about the enormity of everything. If you if there was a god, that would be enormous. Like even either there's two things: either there is a god or there isn't a god, and and one of them is e e the reaction to each of them is oh whoa what if there's a god or there's a, oh there's no god you know they're equally the same. But it's the size and the scope that just it sickens me. It's too. You much. should have oh, that. No, be, as long as it doesn't sicken you all the time. Of, size of the scope of London it's, it's, would be that. Ha, Think yeah. how many microbes there are in London. Cosmological yeah, vertigo. Yeah. That's the term. Yes. Yeah. Gauguin apparently got it. In the end of the 19th century, with discoveries in physics, discovery in evolutionary biology, all of these things, people just went, I'm falling off the fucking earth. This is too much to yes. deal with. And Gauguin goes, do you know what? I think I'm going to go to an island and paint topless but women. That's so that's apparently one of the cures. That's you know, what for everyone's it. doing with climate change and what it's doing to everyone, because everyone's like, I can't cope. I'm just a little... Well, they can listen to the well, monkey cage look, on climate change, yeah, which well, will look, be going out soon. Look, at, um, uh, look up stuff on, on Doggerland, because that... Existed and then seven thousand, eight thousand years ago, we lost it. Doggerland, you know, Dogger Bank. I think that no. is that was us. It's all joined up. We were totally joined onto the uh, European mainland, and then as the ice melted, uh, it flooded things, and there was this huge scouring as well. Which there, there was a, the, the river, the, 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 the La Manche, the sleeve. I think it was called the sleeve for, for years, and then it that river became the big the sea that it is wow. because it broke through around about Calais. Um, but that that was all joined up, and they do know this because the fishermen have been down there. And they pull up stuff uh, in the Dogger area, and they have artifacts from you know human tools and things. So they know it was there was a tsunami way back, and uh, and they've that got was that. yeah. So you, you just look it up. You can you can see all this stuff. You know, for more there's more times I think that is it more times this earth has been there's been no ice on this earth, or there's a yeah I think there's been absolutely no ice on this earth for longer than there has been some ice on this earth. Which is interesting. And that's the end of Geology Module 1. We got back <laughs> to Alfred Wegener. That's the great thing. Yeah. We started with Alfred Wegener. We... Is he the shifting... Yeah, he was guy. continental drifting. Yeah. All that is stuff. it Wegener or Wegener? 
Uh, do you know what you know? You're multilingual. <laughs> I think he's thank got, you very much. Because it looks like it looks like Wagner, but it's not. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, all episodes, reading lists, etc., are available at cosmicgenome.com/shambles. That also has the details that if you do have, uh, if you would like to donate, so that we can keep making those. That's there, and we're on Patreon.com. So thank you to those who have been contributing. Uh, it means that we can keep making these, and they include Dean. Agnes, Stephen Fairclough, Stephen Roffey, Mark Slater, Dave Roberts, Matt Danahar, Tom Hewer, Alice Bremner-Watt, Harry Bentley, Paul Levy, Michael Welsh, Phil Cowhig, or is that Cowhig? I think it's Cowhig, though. Scott Barnett, Christian Tolbert, John Hurst, Diane Hadfield, Ellen Alina Kendall, Amanda McKenzie, Simon Panton, Matt Garner, Robert Hinchcliffe, Mike Grace, Dan Davis, and your cinematic universe, James Fouts, Richard Tingley. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you kindly.